0: got rushed into the medical centre at Glastonbury which then they rushed me to hospital. Their employer unfortunately said, no, your zero hour contract and therefore you do what we want you to do. The best bit of advice I would say, probably the easiest bit. Hi, I'm Carl Randall, and
1: this is the Frontline Security Podcast. Join me as I'll be talking to some of the key players in the security industry. I'll be talking to CEOs, campaigners, and security professionals who work in a whole host of different roles. Now, joining me today is Charlie Morton, who pretty much fits into all three of those categories. Charlie has been in the security industry for over 12 years now. He's worked in some of the biggest events in the UK, exhibitions, pubs, clubs, you name it, Charlie's done it. Now, Charlie is the founder and CEO of Control Event, which aims to make sure that events across the UK are ran as smoothly and safely as possible. Now, unfortunately, in 2020, Charlie's cerebral palsy got worse, leaving him wheelchair bound. But this hasn't stopped Charlie one bit. He's continued to work in the security industry and alongside running his own business. Charlie is a massive campaigner for increasing inclusivity across the security industry and for improving accessibility in venues across the UK. So, Charlie, first of all, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. So, as I mentioned there, you've been in the security industry for over 12 years now. But let's go right to the beginning. Yeah. What made
0: you choose to work in security? So my dad owned his own um, events company um, at Pinewood Studios, and then he moved into hotel events. Um, And I used to be in his van delivering stuff to venues um, and exhibition centers. Um, So I was sort of brought up in the event industry So I started doing some DJing at about the age of 15, 16 um, in bars and restaurants and weddings. Um, At 18, I moved um, to London. I was wanting to stay in the event industry, but I wasn't sure what to do. I found out about Get License. I got my door supervisor's badge. Um, Luckily, I got it on my first attempt. Um, I then decided to reach out to a number of companies. So then I got into the event industry, um, done a few festivals, and it all went from there really. Do you remember your first festival that you worked at? So the first festival, proper festival, must have been Glastonbury. Um, I worked at Glastonbury, I think we were there for about a week, two weeks. Um, That was great fun. Unfortunately, I got an infection in my foot. I got rushed into the medical centre at Glastonbury, which then they rushed me to hospital on blue lights from Glastonbury to the nearest local hospital, um, which I was then in hospital for about a week because I just could not walk due to getting a cut in my foot whilst I was at Glastonbury. (laughs) So that was my first experience of um, festivals, unfortunately. But it didn't put you off. No, it didn't put me (laughs) off. And I came back fighting. Yeah. So out of all of the festivals that you have worked, which one have you enjoyed the most? The one that I probably enjoyed the most... Let's think... I want to say probably, enjoyed the most probably Garage Nation in Frindsbury Park when it was there a good few years ago. Um, Another good one that I try to do every year is Pride in London. Um, Last year I started running their actual event control room as an individual and not a company. Um, I really enjoy that sort of aspect of it. actually running event control and stuff so i've spoken to the event organizer um, for this year and hopefully i'll be running it in some aspect again this year yeah. so the two would probably be Garbage nation pride in london and maybe on the beach in brighton and what do you enjoy the most about working at festivals so what i like the most is probably no two days are the same um your constantly changing what you're doing um, and you're working with a complete array of different people. Um, One day you could be dealing with um, a member of public that's having a seizure. The next day you could be having an issue with someone having a heart attack, um, someone causing a massive issue, um, which then turns into a fight because they don't want to be searched or... They're throwing drugs over um, the Harris fencing to get into a festival. Um, I've seen um, pretty much it all. Um, One of the experiences that just came back to my head was um, when I worked at Cheltenham um, Stadium on the response team probably about eight years ago. Um, It was the time... um, the owner was trying to leave um, and sell the club. Um, And I was part of the response team and we had bottles of, you can probably guess, thrown at you and we had flares thrown at you and all sorts and people throwing stuff at you, which I'm not going to say um, (laughs) would actually put me off and actually let them get closer to the owner. But things like that. You jump in the shower end of the shift. You get washed. You carry on. Um, didn't break any bones. Didn't. Nothing severe happens. So I just carried on, and it's things like that. The unknown on what could potentially happen or not happen is quite nice in the industry.
1: Yeah, you touched on there that you now work um, in event control. Uh, yeah, for big
0: events like Pride. Talk me through what event control actually is. So event control is basically, best way to explain it is the beating heart of your event. So we're the team that you often don't see. We're either in a marquee or for pride. Let's take pride for an example. You're in a hotel. I won't say the location of the hotel, but we're in a hotel and in that control room, we've got the police, the fire, the ambulance, road, road traffic people, the council, and the five or different six security companies. And then you've got the pride control team. So what then happens is if someone radios for event control, that usually goes to an individual like myself first. I then take the message. I log it on our CAD system. I then fire it off to the ambulance, the police, the fire, dependent on ca- what category it comes into. And then the police and the fire people will attend the scene. They'll let me know through the CAD system or they'll just come over and communicate with me. And then I'll deploy the right people and tell the person on the end of the radio what is actually um, happening. Um, so, yeah, we're basically the beating heart of the operation. And I like to see it as we're above the event organiser, we're above the owners, we're above the managers because we're the first point of contact to say this is happening, this is not happening, we're doing a show stop. So I like to see it that we're actually the top of the food chain when it comes to events. Yeah, so if anything goes down, you guys deal with it. My neck's on the line.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so obviously you work in event control now. Um, did you make the transition towards event control when you moved into a wheelchair?
0: Yes, correct. So um, like you pointed at the beginning, um, so back in 2020 during the pandemic, my cerebral palsy um, got a lot worse. I had cerebral palsy from when I was a baby due to starved oxygen to the brain. Um, And by doing security, walking 10, 11, 12 miles a day, in the long run that put a lot of extra pressure on my feet and just ruined my feet so in the pandemic my I just could not stand on my feet I was in a lot of pain and luckily my GPs were amazing we were able to get a wheelchair company to sort me out with all my wheelchairs and I was like well I do security do I lose my badge will the SIA not allow me to carry on Um, will I actually be able to and then it took me probably about three years during the pandemic to go why don't I start control event and why don't I go into events and do event control because being a wheelchair user in the event industry it's extremely rare to see someone in a wheelchair so I started event control um solutions first part of control event because that's the only real job i could personally do at the time in a wheelchair then i thought whilst i was doing these events trackways aren't accessible toilets aren't accessible to staff or volunteers that are in wheelchairs or any sort of disability so that's where um accessibility consultancy came on um through control event um So I've been speaking to um, quite a few companies and organisations. One was Live Nation, for an example. There was a news article with regards to Wireless Festival and um, Reading Festival not being fully accessible to everyone. People were complaining. And I thought, if I want a name for myself, hopefully for the good reasons, it takes someone like me to speak up. So I posted it on LinkedIn um, within four days. Live Nation reached out. They organised the meeting with myself. I went to their head office in Farringdon. I had a good two, two and a half hour meeting with them. They've invited me to hopefully go to some of their um, festivals this year and actually audit them and tell them what could be changed and what's going on well. So that's a good connection I've got at the moment. Mm. I'm also working for the International Professional Security Association, who um, is basically a volu- voluntary association. And they try and make the standards within the security industry um, more accessible to everyone. And they try and stand up for people's rights and getting more pay and different types of training and Um, trying to push out at the moment with them is training and understanding of people with disabilities um, especially towards members of public like how do you communicate with someone that's autistic it could be something so easy like um, you could print out some signs on the table so if they're non-verbal autistic just like you would do with someone with hard of hearing you would print out a tick and a bag are you okay to be searched yes no can mm-hmm. i search your bag and you just point it they can't communicate and just by doing something so little and small like that you actually go a long way and actually to them something so small printing off some photos and laminate it actually makes their experience because it shows that you've actually Use your initiative, it's completely free. Get some photos off Google, laminate them on your search table and make it easier for people with different types of disabilities like nonverbal autism, Mm -hmm. um, hard of hearing and actually see what impressions that will show to event organisers and other people within the industry. And it's just trying to pave the way at the moment in the industry that, People like me, no matter what disability I've got, I've got five different disabilities, um, that we are just normal people. And yes, you might see me rock up at an event in a wheelchair. And I get it a lot um, where I'll rock up in a wheelchair and people are like, oh, how are you doing security and all that? And then I park up my wheelchair in event control and I go for a sight about, and I actually... Do that purposely because it sort of gets people thinking to go actually there's ambulatory wheelchair users and we can do jobs as well as you or even better as you um and i've proved that a few times where someone will go oh i can't do this and i'll prove it to them that they can and i'm mm. in a wheelchair and i've done it so yeah it's just trying to change the industry
1: yeah brilliant so i mean. Obviously, you made that transition from staying in the security industry before you were in a wheelchair and then moving into a wheelchair. So what kind of roles can people do working in security with
0: being a wheelchair user? Yeah, so there's a few I was thinking about over the last week or so. So one could be, let's say someone is able to walk, but they have a leg injury. They could easily sit at a festival search table in a chair and search bags before they get to the person that actually does the pat down and the wanding. So they could easily sit at a search table um, and do bag searches. They could sit down by an entrance point and click people onto site. They could sit down and scan tickets. They could work in event control like me um, because I can only stand on my feet On a good day, probably an hour. Mm -hmm. On a bad day, 10 minutes. And working events in event control gives me that flexibility to actually, if I am on a bad day, I can do event control. If I want to then go out and search someone for like 20 minutes on a break, or just because I don't want to stay in control, I can switch with someone else that covers my breaks and I've got that flexibility. Um, They can also do things like if you're in an office, for an example, there was a scenario where um, someone reached out to me on LinkedIn and they asked their employer, I won't mention any names, that they currently broke their foot, they were currently in a boot, and because the industry is a lot of it, unfortunately, zero-hour contracts or self-employed. So you have to still try and get some work. So they asked their employer, could they sit at the reception desk and just sign in visitors and not do patrols that day? Their employer unfortunately said, no, you're zero-hour contract, and therefore you do what we want you to do. Um, and They could have easily, no doubt about it, gone, okay, no worries. By all means, you can do reception today and just check visitors in and their passes and their IDs. But instead, the employer took it upon themselves to go, no, you're on a zero-hour contract, you do what we do. Bearing in mind, they are breaking the Disability Discrimination Act and the Equality Act. Probably more the Equality Act because everyone falls under the Equality Act. By them refusing to make that reasonable adjustment, they have failed the Equality Act to make um, to make a reasonable adjustment to that employee. Um, they could potentially be taken to court. They legal proceedings could be done because they clearly didn't go out their way to make any reasonable adjustments. To accommodate that person's needs so it's things like logistics covering someone's break that's on a static position so there's a lot you can do in the industry and i'm trying um, ever so hard like doing podcasts with you cole to make people aware that security isn't just standing up being all beefing going you're not coming in or seeing someone in a wheelchair not doing security. Um, You wouldn't really be able to, if I'm being honest, and I think I can say this, work in a nightclub or a pub in a wheelchair um, because it's just not practical and it's risk assessing it. But what you could do, you could turn up to a venue in a wheelchair, park it in the storage room, and then sit in a chair by your ID scan machine. So you could easily scan people into the club, you're sat on a chair, as long as there's enough space, and scan punters' IDs in the machine. You're not in your wheelchair, but you're still working, but you're sat down. You could still check bags before they get to a preset. So as much as you probably can do it in a wheelchair, as long as you're an ambulatory wheelchair user, you could do probably every bit of the industry that there is. It's just your employer um, that needs more understanding and awareness on what's reasonable. Um, And by an employer making um, reasonable adjustments, they're actually showing and paving the way to other people in the industry going, no matter what disability you've got, you can do it. It's like... you're employing more people with autism we're so good at working out logistics and what needs to be done and i could probably tell you exactly layouts of sites that i haven't been on for 10 years so it's just trying to find people's abilities and what they can and can't do and support them in any way they can to actually do the job to their best ability
1: yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's more about companies making reasonable adjustments to cater. Um, I know the SIA, they, they've got an example they use. Um, for. I think it's a guy called Tim uh, with epilepsy. So he, I think he's, he started his shift when he was 18. Um, he'd always work long shifts, night shifts, and then figured out he was always really tired. Um, so the company made a reasonable adjustment and switched him to daytime shifts. It's, sometimes it is as simple as that um companies just need to work with um work with people really um so recently you have done the door supervisor top-up course yeah with get licensed yeah and you've actually just completed the cctv course this weekend so we'll talk about the door supervisor top-up course first because i did mine a couple of months ago now
0: yeah how did you find it I found it um, fantastic. Murray, um, shout out Murray, um, (laughs) from Pro Savas Training, um, based in Wood Green. um, He was literally fantastic. Same with Zane, um, one of the people that helped Murray. Um, They were fantastic. Luckily, um, I was able to talk to them on the phone. Normally, you can't, so Get Licensed allowed me to actually speak to them on the mobile and actually make sure there was a lift that what reasonable adjustments could be made Um, in the industry to be a door supervisor you have to do your physical interception correct me if I'm wrong Carl if you're doing security top up you don't need to do the physical interception aspect with me because of my disability I am more than capable to stand up walk up and down stairs and actually put someone in a hold if I need to I'm also handcuffed trained so I done my door supervisor because then it opens more fields to me I can still do festivals if I need and licensed premises um so I spoke to Zane and like what reasonable adjustments can you do to me to actually help me pass my DS course and I get this question every day how did you get a ds badge and it was pretty simple i done it as well as you could do your badge carl exactly the same there wasn't any proper reasonable adjustments the only little ones were whilst everyone was having their go to demonstrate how to use physical intervention i could sit down i mean that's and and it it was literally something like that and that was the only reasonable adjustment that there was when I was waiting to go down the stairs um whilst there was a group in front of me I could sit on a chair and it's just little things like that and then in the exam I was able to have um, a scribe a reader an extra time um and in a different room so it was literally basic like that um so as much as get license, SIA and the awarding bodies will go out their way for you, you also have to think, is a door supervisor's badge the best suit to your disability? Because the SIA can't really make an adjustment to the door supervisor course because if there is an issue on an event site, they need to make sure everyone's got the same training and if they start going okay you don't need to do the physical intervention because you've got a hidden disability of ms but then there's a massive fight or a massive situation your team sees the ds badge they know you've got the same level of training um if you're not fully confident in physical intervention because you may have ms you may have severe cerebral palsy worse than me So you can't even get out of a wheelchair. Um, So if your disability is quite severe and you're unable to walk for, I want to say, more than half an hour to an hour at a time, I would say do your security badge. If your disability means you can walk for half an hour to an hour, 100% if you're able to and you're able to demonstrate the physical intervention, Get your door supervisor's badge because it opens up a lot more areas to you. So
1: you mentioned that obviously get licensed and Zane and Murray were um, incredibly accommodating, if I do say myself, uh, throughout your door supervisor top of course and your CCTV.
0: But starting with the door supervisor one, yeah. how did you find the exams? The exams, because I've um, been in the industry for 12 years, Um I found it extremely easy, Um, if I'm being honest. It is common sense, Um, especially on the door supervisor Mm -hmm. top-up. I can't really talk about the new style of the door supervisor course because I haven't done it because I've done my badge 12 years ago. So I've only done top-up. So I'll only speak on the top-up side of it. Um, But because I have been in the industry so long, it is common sense. Um, as long as you're switched on and you know what the basic things are, you'll fly past. I've done it first time, got my badge within, I want to say, four days. Um, so, yeah, the process was really quick and really easy. Yeah. Did you use the GuardPass app at all? Yes. So um, I used the GuardPass app um, for the e-learning That helped me a lot. Um, So I used that probably, I want to say, once, twice a day um, in my spare time. The mock exams. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, when I did mine, I just, I mean, I I think I probably created most of the mock exams. Yes. (laughs) Um, But just sit and do the mock exams every single day. Um, And I also passed first time.
0: Yeah. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's
1: all I wanted. And then the CCTV course, because I haven't done my CCTV course yet. Um, I am going to do it this year what should I expect on the CCTV course?
0: So with the CCTV course, it's three long days from about 8 in the morning till about 6 o'clock at night. Um, the first bit is the Module 1, believe it or not, of the Door Supervisor course. Yeah. Um, they put that onto Day 1 of the CCTV course because if you're doing your CCTV licence and you've not got your Door supervisor badge yet, if you pass your Module 1 on CCTV, you then don't need to sit it in Door Supervisor and vice versa. Yeah, depending on when you do yes. it. Yeah. yeah. As long as it's past 2021, then um, your Module 1 will go towards your Door Supervisor and Door Supervisor to CCTV. Um, day 2 was more of the understanding of what you can and can't do. Things like you can't start filming someone in a private property because that's invasion of privacy and you can't watch them film things for, let me put it quite cleanly, OnlyFans. So you can't um, watch people do certain activities. Um, As long as you're filming the public um, and you're filming vehicles, you're pretty much good to go. If you're zooming into a private property, i.e. you work in a shopping center, you're you're looking at a camera outside in the car park, and you're zooming into the shopping center because you've got a camera on the other side of that door, and you've got access to it, that's justifiable because you work for that premises. You're not invading anyone's privacy. You still have access to that. Day three, um, was basically re-going over what you learned in day one and two, and then day three was basically sitting the exam.
1: But once you've obviously got your CCTV licence as well, will you be looking to work in CCTV control rooms and um, looking after the CCTV?
0: Yeah, so the reason, one of the main reasons i done my CCTV is control event. I sort of need it. If I'm doing event control, I sort of need it. At the moment, I just do generic event control type stuff without the CCTV. The reason why I did get my CCTV badge license was the security company I work for NDST said one of their clients would like someone with a CCTV badge and a door supervisor's badge to do their event controls this year. So I thought, why not? Let's get it done. And then at least I've got it and I don't have to um, sit a course again. And just, yeah, so I want to do a lot more CCTV type control room stuff at festivals. Yeah. I think that will be quite fun. Um, But yeah, the main reason was because the company I work for needed it um, because of a client. But yeah. yeah. So that
1: brings us on quite nicely to Control Event. Um, So what made you start Control Event?
0: So control events sort of started from um, my experience in the industry. I first worked at an event um, with a security company where I would do event control. And I found these events weren't accessible or you would get told they were accessible or next minute you know you've got, Six people lifting your wheelchair down the step because the event organizers forgotten a ramp and simple things like that. So I thought there needs to be more understanding in the security industry about disabilities and how serious they are. Um so control events sort of started from me just wanting to do more event control stuff. And then I'd done some more events and I was breaking wheelchairs quite often. So then I thought, why don't I start accessibility consultancy? The second, I didn't imagine how many people would reach out to me to ask me questions about accessibility and what they can do at their festivals and events. So the second I put on LinkedIn that I'm starting accessibility consultancy, my phones and emails haven't stopped ringing, um, which is fantastic because it shows that um, things within the industry are changing. And it's taken me, I want to say, but I know there are other people working extremely hard to make change, before me anyway, like the IPSA, um, to make this change in the industry. Like, for an example, I've got a meeting with G4S... Um, Security Industry Authority, the IPSA um, and these major big companies. I think Mighty is going to be there on Tuesday with regards to disabilities and how the SIA can actually make the industry more accessible to others. Um, So big, big parties in the industry like G4S are at this meeting next week and I've got regular meetings with these people from now on through the IPSA um, where people are actually listening and there are changes going to happen. It doesn't seem like that the SIA are actually making changes at the moment, but there are things hopefully coming out of all these meetings and there'll be more understanding of disabilities and how to communicate with people with dis- disabilities and that if a staff member needs an extra five minutes to calm down because they might have a sensory overload issue, then that's reasonable. Um, so there are loads of things happening behind the scenes um, and I'm confident that 2024, 2025 is the year of accessibility. Um, so, yeah, I just cannot wait. <laughs> And I'm
1: saying, um, we've touched on this slightly throughout, um, about how you campaign to improve accessibility in events across the UK um, and uh, different venues. What advice would you give to, I suppose, both security companies and people running the events to try and make the event as accessible
0: as possible? So the best bit of advice, I would say, probably the easiest bit to advise Um, event organisers to do is imagine this if you're walking along and your feet have to lift the floor is the event accessible no if your foot has to leave the floor my wheels or my wheelchair have to leave the floor whether your foot has to leave the floor an inch a centimetre whatever it could be it doesn't make that ground accessible the amount of times I get an event organizer saying oh we've got trackways or we've got a marquee and then I ask them the simple question does your feet leave the floor to get into that porter cabin does your feet leave the floor to get into that marquee or that toilet most of the time it's yes so if your foot leaves the floor it's not accessible because my wheels on my wheelchair cannot leave the floor is 300 kilograms and it's heavy. Plus me, it, it doesn't make it accessible. So the best bit of advice is if you're planning an event or you're telling someone um, if something's accessible, remember if your feet lift the floor, it's not accessible. If your feet stay on the floor, including on ramps, then it's accessible.
1: Charlie, so thank you very much. You've been absolutely fantastic. But what is one message you would like to leave to security companies thinking about becoming more inclusive when it comes to hiring?
0: Yeah, so if um, someone has a disability, don't just prejudge it. Like you might see that they're a wheelchair user, ask that individual questions. See what reasonable adjustments you can make that are necessary and proportionate to their role. Don't jump to conclusions and actually spend time to understand that individual. Um, And if you do have any other questions, do feel free to reach out to me on platforms like LinkedIn. Um, My private messages are always open and I'll be more than happy to answer any questions that I can. All right,
1: Charlie, thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Now, please make sure to like and subscribe because we've got so many podcasts coming your way. See you on the next one.